How's everybody tonight? Oh, good. Hey, if you have your Bibles with you, join me in Jeremiah 27. We're going to do 27 and 28 tonight. We're picking up speed, I know. Some of you don't believe me. This section that we're in, remember I told you that Jeremiah is not chronological. They, they have assembled the prophecies and the messages of Jeremiah to kind of follow topics in his life. And here in chapter 26 to 29, <laughs> we have kind of centered on the uh, clashes that Jeremiah had with, with uh, false prophets. So other guys who were coming against his prophecies, remember last week it was to kill a prophet, right? They, they're wanting to kill him. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the, the yoke, the yoke of God and uh, the, the fact that just like, we, just like we've seen as we worked our way through Scripture, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, we see this story of two paths, right? There's always or often this comparison between two, two roads someone can take, two choices you can make, life or death, right? And we also have a choice about what yoke you're going to wear. Jesus talked about it in Matthew, right? We read in... In Matthew, what, what's it in, uh, 11? I think Matthew 11. Yeah, Matthew eleven twenty eight. He said, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, part of what Jesus is describing is the fact that he is the fulfillment of the Sabbath rest. We find our rest in him. He has accomplished the work. We rest by faith in the finished work of Christ. And then he says this, take my yoke upon you. So we are going, Jesus is saying, come and be yoked to me, which is a good, well-fitting yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. You will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy. The phrase there means well-fitting. It's not going to chafe. But it is a yoke, being yoked to Christ. And he says the burden is light. Well, who's doing the majority of the work? Christ. We just need to be yoked to him. That's part of the idea of following him, right? We say, Jesus says, come follow me. If you're yoked to him, you're going to go where he goes, right? The yoke doesn't split in the middle, so you can go wander off and do your own thing. So he, the idea that Jesus lays out for us in Matthew is this concept of having his yoke upon us. Well, tonight we're going to hear about another yoke, a yoke that God is calling for his people to wear. And the yoke that comes upon them through their rebellion, unbelief. Uh, Bob Dylan said, you're going to serve somebody, right? And it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. You will be yoked to someone. You will be yoked to an ideology. You may be yoked to faith in Christ, or you may be yoked to another ideology, but you're yoked, right? You're going to be a part of something. So we'll take a look at that tonight. He begins in chapter 27, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. 
Thus the Lord said to me, make yourselves straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck and send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, the king of Tyre, the king of Sidon, by the hand of the envoys who have come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, the king of Judah. So God's having him do what we call prophetically is a faith act. And God says to Jeremiah, you make a yoke and put it on. And then you're going to send yokes to all these other kings, to Edom, to Moab, to the Ammonites, to Tyrus, to Zidon. All of these guys are going to have uh, a yoke because they're all going to fall under this same judgment because Babylon is going to rule over all of them. They're all going to fall under that. So he's telling them, send out these yokes. And here's the Lord's statement to them. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and the animals that are on the earth, and I will give it to whomever seems right to me. So in this case, God is giving the kingdoms of men into the hands of the king of Babylon. It's going to fall under three kings. I think Nabonidus, Nebuchadnezzar, and Belshazzar. Those will be the three kings that will encompass the 70 years of the captivity of the children of Israel. And so he lays out this idea, and he wants them to know. It's, it's by his sovereign right as the king of the universe. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. He told Daniel, right? Daniel, I raise up kings and I bring down kingdoms. So we have the, the sovereign plan of God moving through the world. Now, we're not always happy with it, right? I mean, I, I doubt any of you are watching the news today excited about the things that are going on in the world today. But God, in his word to Jeremiah and his word to Daniel, he said, I'm still working I bring up and I tear down as part of the scramble, right, for believers to understand. Is this judgment? Are we under judgment? Is this a time of judgment calling his people to repentance, right, Uh, as we're so often willing to to quote, right, Uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14, right, we call out, Lord, we humble ourselves before you, we pray, we call out in repentance, and the promise of God was what? I'll heal your land. I will heal your land. And so the Lord is saying to them, look, this is me bringing this power, Babylon to power. They're going to rule over all of these nations. All of these nations are in some way uh, under God's judgment. He has allowed it. He has brought it to pass. He says in verse 6, now I am given, I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. Now, there's a couple of ways that we know for certain that God did this. If you remember, Nebuchadnezzar is filled up with pride once he conquers it all, right? And he walks out into his city and he says, look at this great city which I have built. And Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, don't, don't say that. You didn't build any of this. God gave this to you. And Nebuchadnezzar, you know, listened briefly, probably in one ear, out the other, I don't know. But within a few days, Nebuchadnezzar does it again. Oh, man, look at all this. And what did God do? 
says for seven seasons, Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. He ate grass like an ox. His hair grew out like feathers. His fingernails like claws. The idea is he, he started to look like a homeless guy wandering around in the front grass outside the White House, just doing his thing, and, and power was never taken from him. If, can you imagine that happening? Now, the idea of seven seasons, I think, is seven years. So if Nebuchadnezzar wandered around like a crazy person as king of Babylon for seven years and nobody took power from him, with the last four kings of Judah, we look at them, two of them only reigned three months because people didn't like them. But here you have Nebuchadnezzar. Why was he able to last for seven years? Because this was part of God's purpose. And God was teaching Nebuchadnezzar something, yes? Yeah, read Daniel chapter 4, and you'll see the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learned. So we, we hear the voice of God through the prophet telling the people, hey, this is my purpose. I've given it to Nebuchadnezzar. He's determined the destiny, right? Look at verse 7. <laughs> All the nations will serve him, his son, his grandson, until... The time of his own land comes. Now, remember, the idea that God told to Daniel was, I'm going to raise up kings, bring down kingdoms. So you have the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. It's going to last, but we come to Belshazzar. That's the end, right? So Babylon, this great nation, is going to last 70 years. That's it. And then the, the chest of, of silver is going to come, right? The chest of silver is going to come and going to conquer the head of gold. And so all the nations will serve him and his son and his grandson, three generations. That's all he's given them. Three generations, how long Babylon's going to last until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations, great kings, shall make him their slave. So the Babylonians will then be enslaved by others, right? So you have the other kingdoms that come upon and come and bring their rule. Three generations, but at the time of Belshazzar, you know Daniel talks about Belshazzar. You remember he was having a party with all the vessels of the temple, and a hand appeared and wrote. You guys remember? Many, many, Tekel, you Farson, you've been weighed and found wanting tonight. Your kingdom will be stripped from you. And that night, it fell. Without a battle, just fell. And there was a new king right? Darius the maid, Cyrus, the one who would give the, the opportunity for Israel to, to return back to their promised land. So we see this being decreed by God, right? This is God's plan. But in verse 8, if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, then I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have consumed it by his hand. So you see working together this idea of God's sovereignty and his decree. Babylon's going to rule. You need to take on that yoke. This is a yoke of God's judgment, right, over the nation of Judah and these other nations. You need to take on that yoke. And he's going to say, why should you die? You don't have to die. You can live right? Living is better than dying. The Bible teaches that over and over and over and over. Life is always 
to be chosen, right? The two paths, life and death. One is the path of Christ, right? Who is the life of men, the light of the world. We want to follow that path. Now, sometimes that costs us our life, but Jesus said in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. No one who who believes in me will ever die. Yeah, you're not gone. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we want to choose that path. We want to walk the path of life. Life is always to be considered better, even if that life is a life of a slave in a foreign country. And so the Lord is calling them to this. He's saying, look, this is the yoke I have for you. This is the yoke I want you to put on. Sometimes the yoke God calls us to is one we don't want to put on. We'd rather fight against it. But here the Lord is saying, no, this is the yoke. This yoke, it'll be well-fitting. This yoke, it will be lighter than the other yoke you choose. The other yoke is going to be a family sitting around a dinner table one day choosing to eat their children. That doesn't seem better to me, but we're free. Well, great. What about your child? They don't get to be free? And those were the choices normal people made when they chose to rebel against God. Because all man is broken and capable of doing things you are pretty sure you won't ever do. And all you have to do to believe that is read any history book. It don't matter which one. Whoever, whoever led the revolution in whatever nation always thought they were right. And eventually they became just as bad as the others, right? I thought there's an interesting tidbit of that just in this last week. In this last week, maybe some of you guys are, are familiar with the uh, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, Chaz in Seattle. Uh, they, they got, uh, I think, mostly shut down today. But they, it started, that whole movement started as a uprising against police violence. You remember? There was a guy, George Floyd, who, who was murdered by a policeman, right? Uh, uh, I think everyone condemns that action. What That action was, was, uh, should not have been taken, and so George Floyd lost his life. So these people rise up in protest, and they take over this place. And sometime in the last four days, a 16-year-old young black man and a 14-year-old friend stole a Jeep in the Chaz, and we're going on a joyride. And the Chaz police, those same people who took over that, threw out all the police and said, we're going to have our own nation, the Chaz police shot 300 rounds into a Jeep with a 16-year-old kid. As far as I know, they, they hadn't done anything or, you know, whatever kids do. You know, I'm sure I've had 16-year-olds make me mad too, so I understand but look, they killed a 16-year-old kid and wounded the 14-year-old. They became the same thing they were trying to overthrow. Do you understand? The, this was not the normal police. This was the people who took over. Why? Because we are a broken man. We are stained by sin. We have a nature within us that wants to rebel against God. And the natural course of events is always going to lead to more destruction. 
we're not getting better. If we reject Christ, we reject the Lord, we get worse. So the Lord says, look, if you won't take on this yoke, you will become like those you replaced. The head of gold, chest of silver, thighs of bronze, right? We have the, the, the legs of iron, the feet of clay. Every one of them is a kingdom that comes on the scene, conquers those who went before them, takes over for all the atrocities they ever did, and what do they become? Just like the one before them. And every kingdom does what? Rises to power, falls. Rises to power, falls. Rises to power, falls. Because there's one king who is capable of ruling, and his name is Jesus Christ. And until he comes to rule and reign, we will struggle. If we, as a nation, become a nation founded on godly principles and focused on following him, that's the best we'll ever be able to do. But if we reject him, turn our back on him, then we will fail like those before. And what does the Lord say? I will punish that nation with sword, famine, pestilence, declares the Lord. Sword, violence, famine always follows war, right? People are hungry. Pestilence, we're still in one of those right now, I think. So we still see these circumstances around us. So he goes on in verse 9. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, your sorcerers, who are saying to you, Ah, you will not serve the king of Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you, with the result that you will be removed far from your land, and I will drive you out, and you will perish. They're lying. Peace, peace, where there is no peace. And the Lord says, don't listen to them. They're, they're lying. This is, they prophesy lies to you. Don't listen to them. And we look at all these, these titles, prophet, diviner, dreamer, fortune teller, sorcerer. Those are all kind of archaic words for us today. But for them, that was like laying out before them all of the wise people of their, of their time. The people you would go to for the, today we might say our politicians or our professors or our teachers or whatever, whatever philosophers. These are the people that people would look to, <coughs> to, to, to divine for them how should we go, what should we do. Verse 11, but any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will leave on its own land. To work it and dwell there, declares the Lord. So you have the first, 605 B.C., you have the first exile. The, the nation is conquered. Um, Daniel goes in that first exile. And here the word of Jeremiah is, now if you'll just put on the yoke of the king of Babylon, I'll let you stay here. That seems okay, Right? You could still live in your same house. You can still have the things that you have, work the land that you work. This will be our exile. But if you won't, I'm going to take you all out of the land. There are going to be three times the nation is conquered, each leading more people into exile until the temple is destroyed ground into the dust. 
by the choice of men not willing to take on that yoke, not willing to put on that yoke. They'd rather hold the yoke of rebellion, which we'll see in just a moment. So you have this, this sermon going out to Zedekiah. He's the last king. To Zedekiah, king of Judah, I spoke in like manner. Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his, and his people and live. You don't have to die. Why will you and your people die by the sword or by famine or by pestilence? Who is choosing the path? The king's choosing it, right? The Lord has laid before him two paths. He's laid before him the opportunity, right, to accept the yoke. And he said, it, why should you die? Why should you perish? Why, why should any of these things happen? Uh, you don't have to have these things happen to you. As the Lord has spoken concerning any nation that will not serve the king, if, you, if you'll just take this yoke upon you, you live. Take this yoke and live. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, hundreds and hundreds of years before this event, God told a generation prior about this day. In Deuteronomy 28, beginning at verse 47, as the Lord is looking forward to this day, right? God sees, God knows, says in verse 47, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things, See, the idea is that you got so much stuff, you forgot about the Lord. We loved the gifts, and we forgot about the giver of the gifts, right? This is what happened to the nation of Judah. Therefore, you will serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness, lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Now, wait a minute. Jeremiah is not talking about a yoke of iron. What's he talking about? He built a yoke of wood, didn't he? He said, take, take this yoke. Take this yoke. Accept this judgment. Accept this thing. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the <clears throat> end of the earth, swooping down like an eagle. The symbol of the nation of Babylon was a, was a lion with eagle's wings. A nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation, who will not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle, the fruit of the ground, until you are destroyed. It shall not leave you grain or wine or oil, the increase of your herds or the flock, the young of your flock, until they have caused you to perish. It's a great description of what's happening at the time of Jeremiah. So the Lord says, look, why should you die? You don't have to go through this. Take this yoke. Take this yoke. This is my judgment to you. Why? It was God bringing his judgment? Because you would not worship me in joyfulness and gladness, though I gave you all those things. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, God gave Nebuchadnezzar that kingdom, and Nebuchadnezzar in pride said, look at all the things we have built. Judah had the same thing. They had fullness of food, idleness of time, but they didn't care. They, thought, they looked around and said, look at this incredible thing that we have done. 
and they worshiped God, they still went to church, they still went to temple, they still offered their sacrifice, but not for thanksgiving, not for joyfulness or gladness at what God had done for them. Just out of some form of obligation. Think about your marriage relationship. Or if you don't have one, think about the one you want. Do you want someone who is married to you out of obligation? Or do you want someone who serves you with joyfulness and gladness? Oh, wait a minute. I think most of us want that, right? Well, you don't want somebody to say, well, I guess if I have to, I'll love you today. Who wants that? God, he didn't like it either. In Deuteronomy, he told them, this is where these two roads go. Blessing, cursing. Read Deuteronomy 28. That's the section we're talking about. Life, death. What path will you walk? What, what choice will you make? Then in verse 16, he said, I spoke to the priests and all the people saying, thus says the Lord, do not listen to the words of your prophets who are prophesying to you. Behold, the vessels of the Lord house will now shortly be brought back. No, they're not coming back. <clears throat> the, breasts, the vessels of the Lord's house, they'll be back. They'll be left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah, and in Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, and may not go to Babylon. We're not going to lose anything else. Everything's good. We're, everything's good. It is if you put on the yoke. It's not if you end up with a yoke of iron. Verse 19, For thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars, the sea, the stands, the rest of the vessels that are in, left in the city, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, did not take away when he took into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah, and in Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon and remain there until the day when I visit them, declares the Lord. So when are the vessels coming back? When God says so. And not before. Those vessels are going. They're not coming back until I visit them. Then I will bring them back and restore them in this place. So God says, I'll bring it back. It's, it will come back. There will be restoration. But the Lord says it will be according to his time. It will be according to his purpose and plan. So then Jeremiah has delivered this. He's delivered it to <coughs> Zedekiah. He sent um, yokes. I'm sure all those other foreign kings really loved their new yoke that came to them from the prophet. They were probably very excited about it. And uh, I'm sure they threw him in the trash and, yeah, whatever, this stuff's never going to happen. And while he's there, in that same year, according to chapter 28, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, a son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and all the people. So at some point after Jeremiah delivered that message from chapter 27, Hananiah, another prophet, rises up in front of all the priests and delivers a message back to Jeremiah. 
He said, verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts. That's the easiest thing to say, <laughs> by the way. That's the easy part. This is what the Lord said. The hard part, wait around to see who's right. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, <coughs> excuse me, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back Jeconiah. Oh, boy, Jeremiah's already prophesied about that. Jeconiah's never coming back. But he says in two years, Jeconiah's coming back. The son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles. That's Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Right? You remember those guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm going to bring all those guys, all the exiles are coming back within two years. <coughs> um, and I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah. So you have two prophets prophesying two different things, right? <coughs> so he spoke to Hananiah the prophet in the presence of the priests. And all the people who were standing there, and the prophet of Jeremiah said, Amen. You remember what Amen means, right? So be it. So be it. It's going to carry a couple of different meanings. So be it could be Jeremiah saying, I hope you're right. That'd be cool. Be great. If that only was the word of the Lord, right? Amen, so be it also means perhaps you have made a choice right now. So be it. So be it. I think there probably was a pause and then he said, may the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Yet, Hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it shall be known that the Lord truly sent the prophet. So as these two prophets face off and the people are deciding which one of these guys is really speaking for the Lord, because <clears throat> those are two different messages, right? Jeremiah says, well, the guy who prophesies peace will know he's real when that peace comes. And he, proph he gave a date, right? He said two years from now. So two years from now, we should see exactly what he's talking about, right? We should see, and you'll know he's a prophet. And if it doesn't happen, what will you know? He's not. According to the word of God, Deuteronomy chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 18, there's a test for the prophet. The prophet of God is never wrong. If he is wrong, God says, he's not my prophet. I didn't give him anything to say. 
I'm always blown away by that simple truth and then the fact that there have been men who have made money off of the people of God by selling books that say 81 reasons why God will come back in 1981 and follow it up with 82 reasons why God will return in 82 and then follow it up a few years later with another and another and another and another. The first time he was wrong, God said what? He's not my prophet. Do not listen to him. A prophet only has to be wrong once. And then he says, that's not me. God's saying, that's not me speaking through him. So Jeremiah is saying the same thing. Look, you'll know. Two years, you'll know if God has truly sent the prophet. And then Hananiah rises up because he wants to make another statement. The prophet Hananiah took the yoke from the neck of Jeremiah and broke it. I am a firm believer that there are choices we make that carry more weight than other choices we make. That there are times when God calls for repentance and change, and then there are times where God says, okay, that's your road. And you're about to see one. He breaks the yoke of wood, the well-fitted yoke that meant life, Take this yoke and live. Why should you die? He's got this yoke. He breaks it. And he speaks in the presence of all the people and says, Thus says the Lord. Again, that's the easy part. Even so, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of the nations within two years. And Jeremiah the prophet went his way. People are often asking, they ask Jesus multiple times, show us a sign, show us a sign, show us a sign, you know, amaze us with your ability. Herod, the king, wanted Jesus to do tricks before him, right? When he's arrested and brought before him, but Jesus didn't even speak to him. He told them what the sign would be, you remember? A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and none will be given it save the sign of Prophet Jonah, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the bowels of the earth. Jesus said, the sign that I am who I said I was is the resurrection. That's still Paul's, Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15 was without the resurrection, we don't exist. If Christ is not risen, we're not saved. But he is risen. He is who he said he was. He has accomplished what he said he has accomplished. And so here, Jeremiah told them, here's the test of the prophet. We'll see. And he walks away. God doesn't get caught up in that game. All right. Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Sometime after... 
the prophet of Hananiah had broken the yoke from off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah goes back wherever, hangs out, figure we'll see who's true. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And I've told you this before, but I hope you understand it. When the Bible says the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, it doesn't mean necessarily Jeremiah got an idea and said that must be God. Because we're going to hear from other prophets, Jeremiah included, Ezekiel, other prophets that are going to say the word of the Lord came to me and he touched me. Or he spoke to me. That's a presence of God. When the Bible says the word of the Lord came to the prophet of God, the Bible would declare that Jesus is the word of God, right? The word was with God. The word was God. No man has seen God. Who has revealed God to mankind? Jesus has. Jesus reveals God to us. So when the word of God would come to a prophet, then Jesus came to the prophet and said, Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, You have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. I want you to hear in that phrase that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. There is freedom. I believe God calls us to choose between two paths. We've talked about it, right? But here God is bringing judgment. Okay, I've sent my prophet to you. You've tried to kill him. You're, you're going to throw him in a dungeon, though he's been faithful to you and brought you the faithful word. <coughs> You've rejected what I've tried to deliver to you. Okay, you broke the faith illustration that I gave him to illustrate my word to you, you broke the yoke of wood. I'm going to put on you a yoke of iron. Now you can, you can disagree with me, but I believe from that point they were heading to the destruction of the temple. They rejected the yoke that was offered to them the choice to live. Now, Jeremiah is going to walk through among the people, and individuals perhaps may choose, but as a nation, they're rebelling. We're rebelling. The leaders, we're rebelling. They've, their hearts, I believe, have been set with the yoke of iron. You have made in their place bars of iron, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. I have put on the neck of all these nations... Notice the change. An iron yoke to serve the king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. In that I hear this same concept that we talked about at the beginning. Remember where Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you a yoke. I will give you rest. This yoke that you yoke together with me will be well-fitting. It will be easy. The burden will be light. The road may not be a road you want to walk when you follow Jesus, right? Which one of the disciples you think when Jesus said, come and follow me, saw in that vision of following Christ the cross? 
How many times did Jesus tell them we're headed to the cross? Somehow it just bounced off of their foreheads, right? But over and over and over again, Jesus said, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to the cross. And then what did he tell his own disciples who were following him? You must what? Deny yourself, take up your cross. There's things on the path when we follow Christ that we say, I don't want to walk through that. I don't want to do that. You think when David wrote the 23rd Psalm, he was like, man, I can't wait to get to the valley of the shadow of death. We take that yoke upon us and out of obedience and love and trust and faith, we follow Christ where he leads. And if he leads me to slavery, then I live as a slave, but I live. I live and follow him because his path is a path of life. I'll follow him because his path is a path of light, of understanding. But I will be yoked either in my rebellion to Babylon or in my faith to Christ. But I will be yoked as all man will. And the Lord says, now <clears throat> these yokes, the choice you were given, now you are yoked in iron. You will go. So, Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. So now Jeremiah knows, right? God told me what's happening. He just spoke to me again. You're, you're a false prophet. You have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year, you will die. Now there's another test, right? Which one's a real prophet? We don't have to wait two years to decide whether it's Ananiah, because Jeremiah just said in a year, you'll be dead. Because you have uttered rebellion, listen, you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. And in that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. You remember when we started in chapter 28, it says, in that same year, the beginning of the reign of the king of Judah in the fifth month. When did it say Hananiah died? Seventh month. Two months later. It's not a simple thing to speak out presumptuously in the name of the Lord. And now this people are going to follow that. They're going to follow what he said. Why? Because people will heap up for themselves teachers that tell them what they want to hear. Nobody wants to hear, hey, we're going to live for 70 years as slaves. Yay! Nobody wants that, right? That's not a message anybody wants to hear. Hey, guess what? We get to be slaves for the rest of our lives. So when somebody tells them what they want to hear, well, who do they listen to? Perhaps as a result, that is why the word of God would say, let not many of you become teachers, for you will fall under what? Stricter condemnation. Because when you tell people the message they want to hear, they will ignore the message they need to hear. 
So these same people that Jeremiah stands before and he says, look, you guys don't have to die. As we continue through Jeremiah, we're going to see Jeremiah walk into houses like, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're eating our children. That's, that's not good. Why would you do that? I guess they're really hungry. Well, you don't have to do that. You can surrender right now. Walk over there, cross the siege line, and give yourself in, and you can live. Surrender, and you can live. That was God's message to the people. But the false prophets would say, no, we're God's favorite people. God's going to take care of us. We're not going to suffer like that. So they follow the message they want to hear. Does that happen today? Are there people who teach things in opposition to what God's word says? I mean, there's clear things that the word of God says that people walk in disobedience to. Why? Because they've heard another teacher say it's okay. The Bible doesn't really mean that. It means this. And that's a message I want to hear. When we come to the word of God, we want to come to the word and we want to rightly divide the word of truth. We want to, we want to follow the principles that God's given us so that we have a right understanding of what God's word says. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that everything is simple and cut and dry, but I, some things are pretty simple. It's hard for me to understand how people would teach the opposite, right? But in our world, that's what Paul said would come in the last days, didn't he? He said, men will become lovers of themselves and haters of God. Is that, is that not something you can watch in every highlight video on the news? Men as lovers of themselves and haters of God? They will no longer endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear the truth of what the word says. They will pile up for themselves teachers that will scratch their itchy ears. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, when they asked, well, when will we know who the Antichrist is? Paul writes to the Thessalonians, that day will not come until there is a apostasia, a falling away. What's that falling away? Men will fall away from the truth. They will believe the lie. Isn't that what the word says? They will believe the lie. They will believe the lying prophet. Why? Because the lying prophet will say what people want to hear. And when people choose that lie, perhaps they are also slipping into an iron yoke from which they won't turn. Maybe because they can't, maybe because they won't want to. I don't know. But I think we all believe there's a point somewhere, right? Isn't there a point? Don't we feel like there's a point somewhere in our, in our walk, in our following that, that man can reject for the last time? Reject and reject and reject. There was a last time for Pharaoh. There was a last time for Judas. There was... We want to be careful that we are understanding the word because when Jesus came and he 
stood before the <coughs> religious of his days. He said to them, you study the word because you say this is where life is. Jesus said, you're right. But it is this word that teaches about me. But you don't see it. Because you've laid hold of what you wanted to hear. Not what's actually there. So we come to this point in Jeremiah as he's battling with these false prophets. And I look at our world today and I see the lies spread and the, you know, <clears throat> hey, you can build a giant church if you just want to tell everybody what they want to hear. People will flock in for that. But God's calling for men and women who will speak the truth. No. Who will tell the truth about what God's word says and call his people to follow him. Know the word. Right? You're not going to become a student of the word just by listening to me one day a week. I don't know if you can become a student of the word listening to me seven days a week. We become a student of the word because we choose to be a student of the word, to want to know, right, what God's word says, what it teaches, and then to make that decision, I'm going to put on your yoke, Jesus. Wherever you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. That is the Lord's call for his people. And I pray it is we who will answer I will follow you wherever you lead me. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we can study. We thank you for the opportunity to spend time in Jeremiah, God. And I pray that we would heed the lesson, hold fast to your truth, lay hold, God, that we have this desire to know you because God wants us to know him even more than we want to know him. God wants our faithfulness even more than we want to give our faithfulness. And he has given us a gift. He's given us his spirit. His spirit that can strengthen, that can open our eyes, that can give us understanding so that we can rightly divide the word of truth. He's given us the things we need. I pray, God, that we rather than trying to take that yoke off and break it, we just say, Lord, I want to be yoked to you. Wherever you lead me, whether it's through the valley of the shadow of death or through a great time of celebration, wherever you lead me, I want to follow. I want to go where you go. I always think of that great story in the book of Ruth as Ruth looks over at Naomi and chooses to follow her even though Naomi's going to a strange land, strange gods and Ruth's never heard of them she says I will go where you go your family will be my family your people will be my people I will love what you love, I will hate what you hate and I will stay with you no matter what. Lord, I pray that that's our heart as we follow you. We go where you go. What you say is wicked is wicked. What you say is good is good. We will trust you. We will follow you. Even though in our world that's going to become extremely unpopular. 
Lord, I pray that you be glorified and magnified as we seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen.